What does it take to build a home? What does it take to build a home away from home? And what does it take to build a home away from home you cherish so much you would cry if you ever had to give it up? Bienvenue, mon ami. I am Nick. I'm your resident interior designer, a serial expert living currently in my sixth country, and your humble host on this podcast that is all about creating homes that celebrate la joie de vivre. That means celebrating your joy of and your joy for life so that you'll have a place you truly feel you belong to. And this is season three. And this time around, I will be exploring everything concerning the topic of change because we are post-COVID-19. And it's safe to say, life has changed for all of us. And the question is, how have you lived through this massive phase of change? Let's talk about how we can make change work for us. I'll be examining it from all different angles because it's quite complex, n'est-ce pas? And as every season, I'll be inviting some kick-ass guests from all walks of life with all sorts of professional expertise and personal wisdom to tickle the best out of this topic. So let's jump right into this week's episode, which I had le plaisir, the pleasure to have with Sarah Plowman. And Sarah, really bluntly put, helps people get unstuck. <laughs> the definition of being stuck is you can't move forward, nor backward, nor sideways. And whatever is in your way just seems insurmountable. And all you wish for is for nothing short but the miracle, like a crane that lifts you up and carries you away to another place out of that hole that you duck yourself into. But here's the thing. We can't escape our own life. So if we last week talked to Catherine on how to make a good level-headed decision in a challenging and often very emotional situation, then today we're talking to Sarah about how to stick to that decision and not dig yourself into this hole of self-doubt. And if you get into stuckness anyways, which we all know we do, then how do we get unstuck? How do we get from inaction into action? How do we back that courageous decision that we made last week? How do we back that up and follow through with action, with results? And how do we not become the source of our own, well, self-disappointment? So here we go. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much, Nick. I appreciate you having me on your podcast for this opportunity. And like you said, you and I have had many really amazing conversations together. So I'm excited that we can now have your listeners be a fly on the wall for one of those conversations. Yeah. And just to let the others know, so the way I met Sarah was on Clubhouse. She was hosting a room and coaching people. And the very first time, I honestly cannot remember the topic, but I remember that I went on stage and I asked you a question. And you asked me something where my brain, I cannot say it differently, like I had a complete brain fart. My brain did not like your answer. And I felt very constipated. I was just like, wait, no, but, but no. And every time that happens, I have to ask myself, okay, <laughs> I'm clearly in defensive mode here. I should lean into that. So I took a lot of notes, 
And then I had to redigest what you had told me. And then the next time that I met you in a couple's room, you were coaching somebody else. And that person had exactly the same situation where he was in complete denial. I remember it was a gentleman. I think he was a cook in a hotel. And he was like, wait, no, but, but no, you don't understand. You don't understand. And he was really defensive. And then I remember like, okay, let me get back on stage. And then we had that three-way conversation of like, look, what you're going through, I had that last time and my situation was. And I remember that being very productive because he's then like, oh, I can see it from your point of view with your story, but it still feels that my story, Sarah doesn't get that. And I was just like, yeah, I, I know what you mean. And I know there was a long intro, but that's what we're here for today. Um, when we feel stuck and we need somebody to help us think ourselves out of the situation, and then we get to hear something that we do not like or that our brain rejects. Yeah, Sarah is really, really good <laughs> at helping you see what you don't want to see. Is that correct, Sarah? Is that a good way of, of putting it? I love the way you put it, Nick. I think it's it's so interesting, that story that you told, because we all are attached to our stories about ourselves or our stories about the world, right? They feel really true to us. But then when we see someone else struggling with something similar, we have that objectivity that we're unable to have for ourselves. And that's why it's really valuable to work with a coach or even to listen to other people get coached because it helps you to have that objectivity, right? Oh, well, maybe what feels really true to me, right? This feeling feels really true or this belief about myself. What if it's not? What if I just think that it is? So yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head and and that is the work that I do. And I think that for those of us who are on a path of growth and we want to keep pushing ourselves and and chasing our dreams and making our lives look the way we want them to, that that's what it requires of us. It requires us to do exactly what you said you did. You had this, you know, little meltdown in your brain and all this resistance. And you took that as a sign to question yourself right? And you didn't have to necessarily agree with everything that I was saying, but that willingness to question and say, what if I'm wrong here about myself is so, it's the first step. Just ask yourself, what if, what if I'm wrong? What if there's another way that I'm not seeing this? And that is the first step to our growth. Yeah. And we've all had that situation where a friend tells you about something in their life and how they can't get past or how it's a struggle. And from the outside perspective, we're like, oh, but it's so simple. And if we know that person, we know like, oh, just use this or that strength of yours. And don't go into that because that's a habit of yours. And it's really easy to see the way out for other people but it's so hard for ourselves, right? And then it's that ridiculous situation you find yourself in that when you have somebody else 
giving you advice or asking you questions and you go like, no, 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 you don't get it. Like you don't have all, you know, you don't have, to, you don't know what it's like. And we resist so much, even though we know, because we've been from the outside position, oh, it could be so simple. So another thing I would like to just point out, I'm just pointing out the obvious. So that feeling that we have, that feeling stuck and not being able to move forward. So we first need to acknowledge that we are on a journey, just as you said, right? Because we would not feel stuck if we didn't try to get away from whatever situation we're in right now. So we are on a path and sometimes it just feels good to... I guess, clarify once more, where am I now? Where do I want to go? And what are the steps that I have to take in order to get there? Is there anything that you want to add to that, Sarah? Yes. I think, first of all, that is important. Like you said, we we often live our lives on autopilot, right? So we don't take that moment to build the awareness. Where am I now? Where do I want to go? And the thing that I'd like to add is it often is our inclination to say, what, what action do I need to take in order to create the result that I want in my life? But what I like to remind people of is before you even think about the action that you take, I want you to ask, who do I need to be and what do I need to think and believe about myself? right? So for example, if you're wanting to, if your dream is to start a business, right? You can say, okay, here are the action steps. I know that I don't have a business now. I know I want to start one. And here are the action steps that I want to take to get there. So you might know that answer. However, you might have all these limiting beliefs about yourself. Like I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. No one wants to hear what I have to say. And you can apply this, these limiting beliefs to any goal that you have in your life. So it doesn't matter if you know the action to take. If you don't have the belief in yourself or you, you don't have the right thoughts in place to fuel the action, then you aren't going to be able to take that action. So that's what I would encourage and add is to ask yourself, who do I need to be to get there? Right. I don't know how it is for you and your clients. But when I think about my clients who want to design a home, and sometimes they're very aware that certain things have to change. But in a lot of cases, people assume they think change is not really necessary. I just have to do more of what I'm already doing. But just to stay in that example of a business, if you have a big family and you're used to cook large meals and host big family events, there's still a difference of hosting you know, a family event for 20 people or to run a restaurant, even if it's just a small bistro kind of thing for 20 people, right? So people do not, I guess what I want to say is sometimes we really don't know what we don't know. And just through the action, through stepping into action, we realize, wait a second, the way that I thought this is going to go or the way that I thought I have to be in order to succeed does not correspond with what's actually going on in, in life and how, in this case, business works. 
So what would you advise for somebody in that situation who has this aha moment and then maybe lose a little little bit of confidence and is starting maybe to doubt if that is the right decision and is going back in their mind, you know, they set a goal, they want to do a certain thing and then it doesn't work and they feel they are not the person in order to succeed and it becomes a self-doubt thing. And I know from my clients and for myself as well, the go-to reaction is to go back and question the whole endeavor in the first place. So how would you, what would you tell a person that is, that is in that situation? Yes, I love this question because you're right. The natural tendency at that point is to lean into that fear and reevaluate. Oh, I must be wrong about myself, right? This must not be, I must be on the wrong track or I must not be good enough. So what I encourage my clients to do and, and your listeners is to pause in that moment and realize that what the brain wants to do is judge and shame. And that's natural, right? You're you're on the verge of doing something new. Maybe there, you know, and there's uncertainty involved when we when we do new things. And your brain doesn't like that and it's trying to protect you. But a lot of the ways that that old part of our brain tries to protect us are very misguided, right? And it's effective because it keeps us stuck. So we aren't doing the new thing, the scary thing, the risky thing. But then we're suffering because we're stuck and we're not pursuing our goals and our dreams. So when you when you notice that happening, I encourage you to not make it a problem, right? Like, okay, things didn't go the way that I thought they were going to go, but I don't have to judge myself, right? Like hold a neutral space for yourself in that moment, which is challenging. It takes practice and Um, but learning how to hold that neutral space in that moment, not judge yourself and say, it's not a problem that things didn't go the way I anticipated them going, or this is harder than I thought, or it's taking longer than I thought. And see it more like view it more like from a scientist, like very objective and like it's an experiment. Okay. Things didn't go how I thought they would. And who do I want to be when I don't get my way? right? I think this is such a valuable question. Who do I want to be when things don't go my way? Do I want to be someone who bullies myself, right? And calls myself names and shames myself and belittles myself and and questions my worth? Or do I want to be someone who is able to accept it, make it not a problem and try again or pivot, try something new. But that question has been very useful to me and my clients. Who do I want to be when things don't go my way? Right. And I remember we had a conversation once up front and I totally agree is to build up basically the expectation of things not working out and then already pre-feel and pre-digest what that would look like and then use the situation because you are in a neutral space because it hasn't happened yet to already plan that when you are in that emotionally flooded state and maybe not thinking clearly because 
we know that emotions, it's all kinds of chemicals running wild in our body that we are literally, unless you're very trained, it, it's really hard to stay clear-headed and to choose the right thing to do because you can do something very productive in that situation or you can do something that is that will lead you to, to procrastination. And I was wondering if you... Do you have an example or do you have a tip on how to realize what action when I feel stuck is helpful and might be maybe me taking a break from what I'm doing currently, but is in the end productive versus I'm slipping here into procrastination? Yes. So what I would say is what we normally do when we're in that flooded with emotion, as you say, we're in that heightened emotional state, our natural tendency, because we're feeling an uncomfortable emotion is to resist that emotion or to distract ourselves from it. Or in the coaching world, we use the term buffering, right? So buffering is when we use something in our lives, it can be anything, it can be drugs or alcohol, it can be online shopping, Netflix and chilling, you know, eating ice cream in your PJs all night things that aren't necessarily inherently wrong or bad for you, but that you're using because you're avoiding an emotion. So we are all very good at that. But what I recommend is learning, and we don't allow ourselves to feel the emotions because we are either afraid of what will happen if we do, like if we let ourselves feel sad or overwhelmed or rejected or disappointed, we're afraid we won't come out of it, right? Like it's a black hole and we don't know if we'll ever escape or we don't trust ourselves with that feeling because we don't know how to feel uncomfortable feelings without using them as weapons against ourselves. So what I've learned to do in my life that has really catapulted me into my successful business and being happier just as a person and being a better parent, a better partner is learning how to feel my emotions and process them in the cleanest, purest sense of the word. And what that looks like is naming your emotion and finding where it is in your body, right? You know, when we're, we, we can locate it like, oh, I feel sick to my stomach or a tightness in my chest, or I feel a tenseness in my jaw and my cheeks are red and hot. So our emotions are physiological events in our body. And when we recognize that and we allow ourselves to just watch ourselves experience the discomfort without making it mean anything, without judging it, without thinking it shouldn't be there, It's a very different experience. So even overwhelm is a great example. And I know that everyone who's listening has felt overwhelmed before. When I'm overwhelmed, I'll literally take a moment and sit on my bed and do this and say, I'm feeling overwhelmed right now. I name the feeling and then I locate it in my body. It feels like a squeezing in my chest and it's heavy and I feel like I can't breathe and my lungs are compressed. And then I'll just sit there and breathe for a few moments and I'll watch the energy vibrate through my chest and I'll breathe and I'll tell myself, you're safe to feel this feeling. It's just energy pulsing through your body. It's just physical discomfort, but you're not actually in danger. 
and it doesn't mean anything about you. This is just Sarah experiencing overwhelm. And then I'll breathe it out. Sometimes I'll ask that energy if it wants to be released, right? Like, you know, when we have an adrenaline rush and then you're like, I feel like I could run a marathon. That's energy. That's an emotion of fear or anxiety anticipation that wants to be expelled from your body. So I ask the overwhelm, how do you want to come out? Maybe I want to go for a walk. Maybe I just need to like roll my head a couple of times or do some downward facing dogs to physically release the emotion. And then once I've done that, once I've witnessed myself and just experienced the vibrations of overwhelm, then I can do the next thing. I can take the next action because emotions are not problems to be solved. And I don't think a lot of people understand this. We try to fix our emotions and get rid of them or resist them. But emotions are not problems to be solved. They're experiences to have. So when you allow yourself to sit and experience overwhelm or whatever emotion we're talking about, that doesn't mean giving into it. It doesn't mean staying in it and wallowing in it. It just means let yourself vibrate with it. And once you've done that, you don't have to fix it. You can then clear that mental and physical space to make an empowered decision and take empowered action on purpose. I love that. I heard you say that before. And it's just, oh, like that one no, it's just like, you know, chicken soup for the soul for me. That's that phrase that your emotions are not problems to be solved. Because I can give you, for example, a very concrete example in, in my case with my clients and I say basically the same thing just yours is so much smarter <laughs> so when I have decluttering clients right they know that there's too much going on and they're more stressed even at home when they should be relaxing their resting pulse is higher than it should be just because too much is going on and home doesn't feel like home so the whole point of decluttering is to feel better once it's done. But during the process of decluttering, all my clients go through the phase of we'll take one room or one corner where we'll do decluttering really, really drastically to the point that I'm preparing you and I'm telling them up front, be aware you will be massively uncomfortable and I want that I want you to experience that on purpose because I think in our western society for some reason um, we all grow up believing that feeling bad or going through that experience of having negative emotions we equal that with I'm already failing so just having the feeling of, ooh, this is uncomfortable. Oh, no, I should be confident. I should be. This, you know, this process is supposed to help me. Um, that already gives, as you said, this judging thought of, holy shit, I'm already failing at this. And I keep telling my clients, you're used to a certain kind of overwhelm that is created by too much stuff. And by putting you through the process of drastic declutter, you are going to be uncomfortable and you're going to be overwhelmed 
through underwhelm because there's so little going on and your brain is not used to so much emptiness in that case, to the abundance of emptiness that that feels like too much and it's a different kind of overwhelm. But just because you're feeling that, it doesn't mean it's not working. You would just like use it. You're learning to have the experience of having less and you're slowly getting used to it. And while we do just one room at a time is so that when that happens and you're feeling this panic rising inside of you, you can literally just escape into another room where everything is the way you're used to and then just live in that state of high intensity because of the one room that is still the old way. And you have another room that is the new way. And slowly but surely, your emotions and all the intensity you feel, it will start to fade away. It will balance out with time. And then you will have a preference for one or the other. And you can continue with the process. So yeah, feeling bad is not a failure. Feeling bad is part of the process. Mm, I love that. So I think we need to shout that from the rooftops. And that's another, that's another handy phrase that I keep for myself when, when I'm feeling very upset and a strong negative emotion, I reassure myself, nothing has gone wrong here. Nothing has gone wrong. And I think it's so wise of you when you're consulting with your clients to let them know, like, be aware ahead of time that this is how you're going to feel. Your brain is going to try to protect you from this change and from this growth by presenting you with these hard to feel negative emotions, overwhelm and change and fear and discomfort. But like you said, feel the discomfort on purpose. And here's what I like to tell people. And I always, when I say this, I kind of get this look like, oh my goodness, you're right. I've never thought of it that way, that you are already uncomfortable. Life is going to be 50-50, no matter what change you make in your life, right? It's going to be good. It's going to be bad. It's the yin and the yang. It's a mixed bag. So life is always going to be 50-50. It's always going to have discomfort. And you already are uncomfortable. You're uncomfortable in your cluttered house. You're uncomfortable with the negative emotions that come up, but it's just a discomfort that you're used to. It's familiar. And that's what your brain likes. Your brain likes the familiarity, even if the familiarity is uncomfortable. So what we're offering to people is to choose their discomfort on purpose that leads to a result that they actually desire in their life. And when you know ahead of time, this is going to be uncomfortable, this is going to be challenging, you're more likely to go through it when you know, oh, there's a purpose to this discomfort. On the other side of feeling these feelings that are normal, that are part of the process, I get to have an a decluttered home, right? I get to experience my life the way that I envision it, my desires for my future self. And that's a beautiful thing when you can choose that on purpose and know nothing has gone wrong here. And it's just part of the process. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) I want to, I want to sit here and clap and say, bravo. (laughs) And I'm not doing it because we're recording and that would sound weird. But another thing that I tell my clients is 
when they feel the, this discomfort, I say, how about we call this instead of it's change and it's challenging and it's work and I have to do this. How about we call it you're on an adventure right now? Because part of the attraction of being on an, on an adventure on this journey is you don't know where you're going to end up, but you're not afraid because you're like, ooh, I'm on an adventure. Let's see where this is going. And, you know, sailing on rough seas is just part on, you know, how to get to your, to the destiny where you're, where you're heading to. Mm. Um, you know, what I, I love about what you just said is you're, you're pointing out that uncertainty does make our human brains uncomfortable, right? There, there is discomfort in uncertainty. And what I, what I want to add to that is that because we have this forward thinking part of our brain, this prefrontal cortex, which I tell my clients, it's software that we were all born with, but not everyone has downloaded, right? Like we're so used to living our lives um, reactionary by the old part of our brain. But when you really tap into your prefrontal cortex and learn how to manage your mind, that's when you can create a life that you love on purpose. But in times of uncertainty, which our brain does not like, you can create your own certainty. You can be the certainty that you lean back on. So in your analogy of going on an adventure, when you're going off into an adventure, what can you be sure of about yourself? Like, what do you know about yourself that is true? It's non-negotiable and it will be with you no matter what happens around you and no matter what unfolds on this adventure you're on. And when you can make that like little list in your head, you can even sit down with a piece of paper and write out, what do I know about myself that will be true no matter what happens around me? That is how you create your confidence and certainty to go into the uncertainty of adventure. Oh, I love that. I love that. Sarah, I had somebody else on the podcast uh, the other week and she was, she's, she was, she is helping people find clarity in an emotional situation so she's helping with the decision-making process so you don't jump into it or you don't procrastinate. So it was very about strategy and logic and calming yourself down and really thinking things through. But from what I get from what you do is it's the part afterwards, right? So when we talk about changes in three phases, the before, the during, and the after, the other conversation that I had with Catherine was about the before, before you start making the changes and you help people that are in the during phase and the next phase of going through that change and, you know, being accompanying them on, on their, on their path. So what would you say? What is the goal that you have for your clients? If Catherine's goal was, you know, I want to build clarity so they can make a decision confidently, what is it that you do for your clients? Mm, yes, such a great question. And I learned this very late in life that there are those phases of decision. I used to be very black and white thinker and think once the decision is made, 
the situation is in a box with a bow on it, done, moving on. But you're so right. There's the during and then there's the after. And I think one of the, the common threads and the themes that's coming up in this conversation, Nick, is anticipation and non-judgment of ourselves. So before I make a big decision, and this is what I work with with my clients as well, is we anticipate what are the what are going to be the obstacles in making that decision, but then also following through with it. What are the emotions? What are the what are the the actual obstacles, but also the emotional obstacles that are going to come up for you? And let your brain go to the worst case scenario. And we have powerful imaginations where we can try on different thoughts and different feelings as if we're trying on clothes, right? So I like to do this work before and during a big decision and decide ahead of time, anticipate the obstacles and then decide ahead of time who I want to be and how I want to feel and how I want to have my own back during and after the decision, right? So uh, one thing that holds people back from, from making and following through with decisions is the fear of regret. But yeah. you get to decide ahead of time. You get to decide, I'm not going to regret my decision. No matter what happens, again, we, we mentioned this earlier, who do I want to be? when things don't go my way. When you make a decision and things go your way, we already know that's not going to be a problem. What we're afraid of is I'll make a decision and what if things don't turn out the way I hoped they would? But we get to decide ahead of time, who do I want to be when that happens? Do I want to use that as an excuse to beat myself up and say, oh, you were stupid and you made the wrong decision and bully ourselves? Or Will we have compassion and love for ourselves even then and say, I made the best decision with the information I had at the time and things didn't go the way I hoped they would, but I know how to have my own back and love myself and forgive myself or forgive others when things don't go the way I want them to. And all of that can be worked out in your mind and you can you know, suit yourself up in this armor of having your own back before, during, and after the decision. I love that. Ah, oh, yes, absolutely. I, I absolutely love that. I could give you another example. Um, when you talk about it, now when I tell you the story now, it sounds a little bit ridiculous, but this kind of thinking comes up with my clients. And I'm saying that with a laughter, but not in order to make fun of those people, just to you know, have that relief of saying, you know what, you're not the only one that happens to everyone. So there are situations for my clients where I say, if we're going through with this change, there are certain points where we need to be bold, we need to go all in and we need to risk something. Because if we don't, if we're just going to be a, yeah, fine, a little bit nicer, there's no such thing as in, you know, doing a big renovation and for, you know, 100% change for 10% improvement. That doesn't make sense, right? In the end, we want to feel that emotional satisfaction. And we will only feel that if we feel like we dared something. But when I say the move, when I say the word risk, a lot of people just, you know, they clam up and the muscles tighten and they're like, what do you mean? 
And it's like, okay, let's say here in this corner, we have to go really bold. And then let's say we, we choose a really bold wall color just for the sake of example, right? And then people can get very hung up and they're like, yeah, but what? I'm not sure if I want to do this. I'd rather leave it white because what if I don't like the purple? And then I have to calm them down and it's like, okay, then tell me, what if you do it? You paint the wall purple and then you don't like it because it's exactly what you said about the regret. What will you do? And sometimes people get really, again, like <laughs> I call it like brain constipation. They get really stuck. It's like, well, then I will be there and regretting it and I will, oh, I will not like it. It's like, yeah, but you will not stay in this moment. You will not stay in the dislike. If you don't like it, you buy another paint and you paint over it. And that's all there is. And then people are like, oh, yeah, yes, you're absolutely right. But in our heads, we can get so stuck of feeling bad. And then, as you said, we bully ourselves by believing that we will keep ourselves in that bad emotion by sticking with that decision that we made. Because in the end, it comes down to that. You can make a decision now, you can follow through. And if you don't like it, you can just make another decision. And you can just follow through on another decision that you make until you're happy and with the result. Yes, it's so true, right? Like to that, that exercise of letting your brain, your brain's like, well, what if this happens? Like allow your brain to to answer that question. What if I paint the wall purple and I hate it? If that's the worst case scenario, let your mind go there and then come up with a plan. What will I do? And the other thing I want to point out is that we think that circumstances create our feelings. So your client in this situation is thinking the purple wall if I don't like it, will create the feeling of regret in me. So that's why they'll be paralyzed, like to paint the wall purple or not, because that is the thing that will potentially create the feeling of regret in my body. But as we talked about, emotions are physiological events in our bodies. And the thing that sets off that cascade of events in your body is not the purple wall. It's actually your thoughts. So this is the fundamentals of what I teach my clients, the circumstances in your life, whether we're talking about your kids, your spouse, your business, the pandemic, your purple wall, that doesn't create feelings inside of you. It's your thought about the purple wall that creates the feeling. You have to have a thought in your brain to create an emotion. So if you paint the wall purple, you might have a thought afterwards. I hate the way this looks. It's not what I expected. I spent all this money and now I have to do all this work to change it, right? Those are the thoughts that will lead to the feeling of regret. It's not the wall itself. The wall is neutral. And you might have a different thought. You might paint the wall purple and you might think, this didn't turn out the way I thought. I don't love it. It's not a problem. I'm just going to repaint it, right? So same wall same person, different thought. And now that person who doesn't make it a problem and who says, oh, it's not what I expected, but that's okay. Sometimes things don't go as planned and I'll, I'll just change it. They, instead of feeling regret, have created a different emotion in their, bod in their body, right? Or they could have a third thought, which is, I love the purple wall. 
So I use it, I think this is a great illustration of the wall, the color of the wall, the action of painting it, none of that creates our emotions. So when you understand that, okay, if I feel regret in the future, if I paint this wall purple, which part of me wants to do, and I feel regret, at least I understand in the future that the regret is created from my thoughts and not the wall. So now you're empowering yourself to make a decision. Okay, so I'll either decide to change it or I'll decide to not feel the regret. Like I'll, I'll change the thought if I want to about the purple wall or I'll take action and change a purple wall. But the feeling of regret is not created by the circumstance. And even just understanding that takes you out of victim mentality and out of the uncertainty because you know now where your emotions are coming from. And from that place, you will be more likely to make empowered and bold decisions. I love that. I have another question for you, Sarah. For me personally, a big point of frustration is patience or the, my lack of patience sometimes. And from what I observed in my business with my clients is that the more confident I get or my clients get of, oh, I love that, like upfront, imagining how it's going to be, the more impatient we get to get started because we have the confidence of this is going to be great. But what's your point on patience, impatience, in, you know, in the context of change on how to handle it? Um, I guess it's more a philosophical question, but um, sometimes we think a change is going to be quick or a change will take us forever. And then we get surprised by just the fact that it takes longer or it goes so much faster. So I don't know, what's, what's your take on patience and patience and change? Yeah, absolutely. I love this question. We have definitely all been there, especially I know you're an entrepreneur and I'm an entrepreneur and that definitely involves a lot of patience. And I have felt impatient, obviously, often in my life. But what I've come to learn is that impatience is a feeling and it's my thoughts that are creating my feelings. It's never the circumstance. So when I'm feeling impatient, first of all, I go through that exercise that we talked about earlier, where I allow my body to vibrate with impatience, which might, might also be like discouragement, right? When you're so I allow myself to vibrate with those feelings. And then I look at what the thoughts are. And the thoughts that lead to impatience are often thoughts like it's not happening fast enough. Or again, I'm not getting what I expected. Like things aren't going the way they should be going by now. And that word should is always a little red flag to like hmm, pay attention to your thoughts. Because when I when I have the word, when I'm using the word should, it's usually a resistance of reality, right? Like I should be further along in my business or I should be further along in this process than I am right now. And therefore things must not be working. And that is not a very useful thought. If I'm thinking I should be further along and things are not working, 
it's not a useful thought for me to take action or to feel the way I want to feel. So I ask myself, what is a useful thought? And for me, a useful thought when I'm feeling impatient is everything is working. Everything that I'm doing right now is working. And if you want to fuel yourself to take action, you can think of, you know, think about what your goal is, what the action you want to take it is, and then think of a useful thought that creates confidence to propel you to take action. So for me, if I want to show up on Instagram live for my coaching business and I'm feeling impatient, like, oh, people aren't coming fast enough and and things aren't working, I'll I'll say, no, actually everything is working. And if the action I want to take is to show up in my business to ensure that everything is working, I'll employ a useful thought such as there is one person who's waiting to hear from me today, who's suffering and who needs my help. And I know how to show up for that one person. And when I think that thought, I feel confident. And when I'm feeling confident, I'm not focusing on my impatience. And when I'm confident, I show up on Instagram and I show up and I help that one person who I might not even know was paying attention or listening or wanting my help. But because I had the belief there before I had the evidence, and that's why we get patient, right? We don't have our brain either sees negative evidence or it doesn't see any evidence at all that things are working. But when we can use our thoughts on purpose, think thoughts on purpose to believe without evidence, that is when we create our own reality. I love that. Use thoughts on purpose. I think that cuts already into my next question because we've been talking before about the negative emotions what can we do to feed the positive ones? Because every project of change needs courage, right? Because we're going into it with the intention of having a better life afterwards, because nobody wants to change for the worse. But there is an element of risk. So how do we feed the positive emotions? And how do we feed our own courage? Mm, yes. I love this question. And we do have to do that on purpose, don't we? Because our yeah. brains are designed to scan for problems and solve them. So I think it's really important for people to know this, that there's nothing wrong with you that you have a lot of negative thoughts and that your brain is like constantly look like negative. That's just the way your brain is designed. It's designed to keep you alive. And that's why we've evolved as a species to the point that we have, because our brains are good at scanning for problems and solving them. But sometimes in the problem solving, we get stuck, right? We get stuck in a loop of problem solving and we don't actually solve the problem. We just stay in that negative loop. And when you're constantly scanning for problems you're con and trying to solve them, you're constantly scanning for the negative. So I think it is something, it's a habit, Nick, that, that is up to us to create, right? We have to, on purpose, look for positive evidence. And the way that I like to do this is looking at the right? Um, your brain likes to look for drama, layer on the drama to the facts, and to speak in sweeping generalizations and hyperbole. So 
you might, as a, you know, we're talking a lot about entrepreneurship today, you might say, oh, I, I haven't had any clients in six months, right? Your brain says the sweeping generalization and it's an extreme statement. And then I might say to you as, as your coach, well, is that true? And they'll say, well, no, I had one, but she doesn't really count because she was a friend, even though she paid me, like she wasn't really like, you know, and then you'll have all these justifications. So I think going through that exercise, you can do this. It's really useful to have a coach guide you through this, but you can do it for yourself too. sit down and saying, okay, let me separate out the facts from the drama and then point your brain in the direction of the facts and say, okay, here's the positive evidence. I did actually have someone in my DMs. I did have some someone reach out, right? And and allow yourself to see that and to bolster the useful thought. Remember, because our thoughts create our feelings, everything is working. And here's a sign. Here is a sign that everything is working. And look for those signs on purpose. Yeah. What I keep telling my clients very often is to... So I'm German, right? And Germans are not big on feelings. <laughs> and it's always, you know, it, it's it's worse than in, in other cultures, but it's it's the schmoozy thing to do. Like, you know, be effective, be rational, be, you know, the, the cliche what Germans are. But I like to remind my clients or when I talk even to friends, it's just to really feel in and label the emotion because so often... We're just feeling an impulse and it's, as you said, it's a physiological reaction and we instantly panic. I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to have this. And I always give this, I mean, we know this example, right? Fear and excitement. Feels in the body exactly the same. Sweaty hands, nervousness, raised pulse. It's just our thoughts that say, okay, damn, this is scary. I'm afraid of that. Or it's like, damn, that's exciting. I want to jump out of this airplane with my parachute, right? It's just the label that we give it. And another example I like to give with my clients is um, jealousy and envy. They feel exactly the same, jealousy and envy. And once you know how to recognize those feelings, they're both that gut punch, right? In both cases, jealousy and envy are a gut punch, like your stomach is getting weird. And because you see something that your subconscious and it doesn't know how to signal it differently. So it gives you this physiological experience of a gut punch saying, whoa, you see this? I like that. It sees the potential of something. And that could be, I don't know, clothes, or you go to somebody's house and it's their couch. Like, let's say you're going to your sister-in-law's house and she has a new couch and her new home looks amazing. And you feel this gut punch. Depending on how you feel towards your sister-in-law, you will either feel it, experience as a jealousy or as envy. Because envy, like in the French sense, is just avoir envie, just Oh, wow. I like that. That looks good on her. That would look good on me. I can see myself go through a renovation and have this brilliant new home and go like, ooh, yes, I like that. Or I can see myself buying a dress like that and feel amazing because that would look good on me. 
Or you can react in a jealous kind of way and say, oh, why is this she get to have like, oh, she gets. And because we can't make it about jealousy about another person because our ego goes like, I'm above this, but we're really not. Then it's just like we go into the negativity and say like, oh, who is she to show off her new clothes or her new couch or and, and that's what I like to tell my clients. Just really name the emotion and not just name the emotion, but know how it shows up in your body that when it next time comes and you feel, oh, that feels like a gut punch. Oh, okay. I'm feeling this. That means, okay, am I scared or am I excited? Am I jealous? Or is it just envy just showing me like, I like this. And with my clients, I always say the goal is always to make everybody in your entourage envious of yourself. And that not in the English sense of showing off, but being an inspiration so that they feel this envy of saying, you know what, she went through that change. I want that and I can do that too. So yeah, that's always, that's my two cents on the whole, not just name the feeling, but know, really know how the emotion shows up in your body and what it feels like. I think that's such a smart exercise because when you look at it that way, you realize, wow, we've just decided that some of those experiences in our bodies are okay and some are not right but you're you're literally saying it's all the same like notice how these emotions are flip sides of the same coin and we've just decided some are shameful and bad and some are not but if you say emotions are experiences to be had even the uncomfortable ones then you're safe to feel all of it. And here's the thing, you can feel jealousy or envy or you know, things that that normally we we hide away in shame. You can feel it because you're a human and it's a human experience without acting on it or without making it mean anything about you. I think an example from my life and I can trace this back to childhood. I know exactly why this this has manifested in my life, but my mom always used to tell me when I was a, a like teenager, like young teenager, that I was the one, you know, like I was, I was the oldest and I was like really good at some things. And also like people were always, especially men and boys, like magnetically drawn to me. And I think, you know, she said it to me as a compliment and I think she was proud. And I think she wanted me to be proud of myself too. But as I grew up, it became it took on a darker tone, right? Like I'm the one and I have to be the one for everybody to all people. And therefore I have to be better than everybody else. I took it on as this kind of competitiveness that really hurt me in my twenties. And even just until the last couple of years, when I, when I started to sort this out and I became really ashamed of that of that voice in my head. It's like a habit or a reflex, that reflex of like, oh, competitiveness and you have to be better and you have to be the one. And then I realized that because I thought it meant something about me that I was a bad person or that I didn't care about other women or I didn't want other women to succeed. Um, And then I realized, no, it's just, that's just a habit 
from my childhood, from, from childhood trauma or child, like it's just a sentence that my mom said to me. And then I said to myself over and over and over again, and then it elicited a feeling in me. And when I said, it's not a problem, I don't have to make it a problem that it's in my head. And I also don't have to believe it. I, I get to decide what I get to decide what to even make it mean that that thought or feeling is in my head. So we get to do that for even if you're feeling envy or, or whatever negative emotion you're talking about, you can feel it and then decide that it doesn't mean anything about you. You're not a bad person and that you don't have to act on it. So for me, I say, oh, yeah, I feel this competitiveness say, with other coaches that are in my mastermind. And I feel like I have to be the one I have to outshine them all. When I feel that well up inside of me, I'm like, of course, of course, I would feel that way. That's that's a thought I've had my whole life. Like it's deeply ingrained. It's a well-worn neural pathway in my brain, but I don't have to listen to that. And I actually don't need to be better than everyone else. I can be my best version of myself and have them be the best version of themselves. I want to be the one for me, the best one for me. And they also get to be the best. And deciding to approach it that way has absolutely freed me. Like this thought has really held me back a lot and led me to people pleasing and to make a lot of decisions that I didn't really want to make in my life. And now by no longer making it a problem and not judging myself for it and deciding what to think about myself on purpose, I have freed myself from that prison of that feeling. Yeah. While you were talking, it led me back to the thought of, again, patience. It takes patience to learn to think better about ourselves, right? And when we want to be habitually a better person, habitually more successful on a constant basis, we cannot get frustrated of habitually having to go back and you know, reframing and redirecting ourselves. Because that is another thing that sometimes we think, we think change is a finite process. I have the before, I have the during, I have the after, and then it's done. But some things, if you want to be habitually good or habitually better or habitually whatever, that next better thing that you are striving for is, then you also need to expect to habitually doubt yourself and having to go through this process of no, I choose to be and choose to think better of myself and not get frustrated that change is not a finite thing. It's not a finite project that you say, you know what? I checked it off my list. I changed. I'm done with it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I'm really glad that you're bringing this up because so many women who come to me, they're women who are already I coach women on any area of their life that they're stuck with, but a lot of the women who come to me have a coaching business and are not seeing the results that they want. Like they're not signing clients regularly. They're not making regular income and they're really frustrated because they say, I should know better, right? Exactly what you're saying. They're impatient and they're disappointed that their mindset work is not done. And I remind them of exactly what you're saying. Like this is a lifelong process. And I've started to use the analogy for better or worse as it's almost like a bodily function. Like you would not say I have peed enough in my lifetime. Like I don't 
I'm frustrated that I still have to pee. Like we just accept that that's part of being human and that's part of our process for consuming and expelling waste, right? We don't question that. And I think managing our minds is the same way. We will have a human brain for our entire lives, our entire existence. We will have this human brain that's skewed negative that is going to teach, seek creature comforts and instant gratification. So it's a lifelong endeavor to grow and to manage your mind. It's just part of being human. And when you accept that, this is just part of playing the game of being human and living a more fulfilled life is that this is now just something that I do. I incorporate into my life and it's not a problem. Then you open yourself up to, you know, quantum leaps in your growth. Absolutely. I love that. I love it. Sarah, I feel like we could talk on forever, but we're coming up to the hour. <laughs> and I heard the doorbell. My kids are coming back from school. It's like, wait, I was supposed to be done when they come home and we're, and we're talking. Yeah, I want to respect your time. And maybe we'll just talk another time. Maybe there at some point we'll have just part two of this conversation. But I have two more questions for you. Number one, what is the thing that I forgot to ask you in the matter of change and going through with change and sticking to the decision without getting sucked into emotional turbulences. Is there anything that I forgot to ask? Is there anything you think like, you know what? I want to add one last thing to this. Mm, wonderful question. And something popped into my head immediately. At first I was like, oh no, I don't, I don't know. But then the answer came to me. And here's what I want to encourage your listeners to remember. So when we're making a decision, that's great. But I also want you to evaluate your reasons for why you're making the decision. Okay. Cause sometimes we, we make a decision. We're like, yes, this is definitely what I want to do. And we stop there and we don't ask ourselves why. So a process that I like to go through is to do a traditional, like pros and cons list. But then when you have those pros and cons, you do like a T-chart, um, go through each of your reasons for why you would or would not make the decision and look at what's motivating them. Are your reasons for making this decision motivated by fear and lack, or are they motivated by love and abundance? And I think that's an opportunity to take our decision-making and our personal development even deeper, not just what are we deciding to do, but why and do we like our reasons? Mm, I love that. Yeah, thank you for that. Absolutely. I love that you use the word motivation in that context because that's that's exactly what it is, right? We can use our emotions for motivation or, yeah, what's the opposite? Demotivation, I don't know, to, you know... And, um, yeah, I feel like I have to go back to that. Like I made notes. <laughs> I made notes. Every time I talk to you, I make notes. And then based on those notes, I ask you more questions. And now I feel like I have so many notes here. I probably still forgot to ask you something because once I read through them, something else will pop up. But I'm going to call it now. I want to <laughs> acknowledge you 
for showing up, for being so open, for being willing to to help. And I want to encourage all my listeners to go and find you. And that would be my last question. Where can we find you? Because I am following you on Instagram and everybody go and follow Sarah because she's absolutely fun between the stories that are really insightful and the little reels that you post that are hilarious. Like... I can see myself like, oh, sometimes I feel myself called out. It's just like, oh, damn it, Sarah, you did it again. (laughs) Guilty as charged. I'm here to call us all out. (laughs) But I always call myself out first. When you see me posting about something on social media, calling you out, it is because I called myself on it. So you're in good company. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So where can we find you and how can people get into contact and if they're interested in getting coached by you how does this work how can they find you and how do they reach out and what is it you're offering so people have already an idea and yeah have an expectation absolutely thank you for asking yes i would love to connect with any of your listeners who resonated with this conversation whatever their results are that they desire to create in their lives. I am a mirror up to your brain. And the thing that I love about coaching, I'll just say this quickly, um, that's different is that I'm not here to tell people how to do it. I'm not here to give advice or to make decisions for people, but I hold a neutral mirror up to their brain and I guide them to making their own decisions and feeling really confident and empowered. So my goal at the end, whatever, you know, we'll have a concrete result that we're working towards, but the goal is for you to become more you through this coaching process, not to do it my way or become more me or, or learn the right way to do it. It's to learn how to do it your way and to have the confidence to do that. So it's so fun. It's such a pleasurable process and it's just so fun to, I know we're not supposed to say the grass is greener on the other side, but it really is when you get to live your life as a more true version of yourself, a more honest and authentic version, you get to love being you. You get to love your life and love being you even when things do not go your way. I love being Sarah in a way that I never had the rest of my life. And my life is not perfect. I still feel all the normal human emotions. I have things that frustrate me. I have things that I don't go my way. It doesn't matter. Throughout all of it, I am so here for the experience and I love being me. And that's what I can offer um, to my clients. So you can, I run my business from Instagram. I'm at Sarah Plowman Coaching. I do have a website that I built earlier this year. It's like a one page, very basic. But if you're not on Instagram, you can go to sarahplowmancoaching.com and there's a contact form. So if you send me a message that way, I will receive it. And if you're curious, if you want to talk to me, you just go to the website or send me a DM on Instagram and just say, Hey, I'd love to have a free consultation. And we would set that up and I would hear where you are in your life right now, where you want to go. So that that's available to everyone, this free consultation, 45 minutes. And then for those people who are like, I'm all in, I just want to work with you. My program is 12 weeks of one-on-one coaching. And that's what we discuss on the consult. So yeah, either through Instagram or through my website, sarahplowmancoaching.com. You can reach out to me and 
we'll go from there. Brilliant. Sarah, thank you so much. Once more, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I can't wait to hear and read um, what the listeners get out of this. I'm sure it's a lot. Because if I have another page full of notes here, the people that heard you for the first time today, well, they will have even more. So thank you again so much. And I'll talk to you soon again. I appreciate you, Nick, and I appreciate you inviting me on. And you're an absolute delight to talk to. And you are thoughtful and ask such amazing questions. And it was my pleasure. I'm really, thank you so much. Thank you. Au revoir. This is it, mon ami. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Sarah from sarahplowmancoaching.com. And if you ask me to pass on the message she taught me well, how do I summarize this? How about this? Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> I mean, seriously, how many nuggets of wisdom are in this episode? <laughs> now, I might be biased because I'm vibing so very well with Sarah. And it was just such a pleasure. And it came so naturally. And I felt like I needed to think so little whilst doing this interview that yeah okay so let me give you one little recap anyways <laughs> you know how we always feel stuck is rooted in our own insecurity what if that's wrong what if we yes do feel really insecure if we stay too long in stuck but what if the root of stuckness is not insecurity, but actually being too damn sure about yourself that you and things are in a certain way. And then when you're trying to change something, you're naturally bumping into that belief. It's like contradictory and it's like an anchor is holding you back or it's like a hurdling the glass wall you keep bumping into, but you don't see where the glass wall ends and how you can get around it. So yeah, what if you being wrong about yourself is the greatest thing that could ever happen to you? And just as Sarah said, don't make being stuck a problem. Don't wallow into it. Just embrace being wrong. <laughs> and as I said in another episode, que les ambitions ne changent pas ta vie. My favorite French saying of only Idiots are not able to change their point of view. So, don't be an idiot. <laughs> Most of all, don't be an idiot by not following Sarah. Because Sarah is on Instagram. She puts so much content out there. You really, really, really should follow her. Just click on the link that I'll be adding beneath this episode. And yeah, share this episode. <laughs> If this episode resonated with you, if you found value in it, please leave me a review. This truly makes a difference in getting found by the right people, people like you. And if you feel gracious, please consider this episode worth sharing because the Home Worth Having podcast is all about creating belonging and creating connection. So maybe you don't feel like sharing it openly on social media, but maybe with that one person, you know, would profit from 
hearing this message. So again, if you want to get into contact with Sarah, find her on Instagram or find her under Sarah Plowman Coaching, but Instagram is the sure thing. Follow the link that is added here below. And as for now, I stay your humble designer friend at a home of having talked to you très, 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 très bientôt. Au revoir, c'est Nicole.